We're so grateful to be here to celebrate the, the Easter weekend. Uh, the resurrection is really why we're here. It's why each and every one of us uh, is here to, to celebrate. Let me pray and we'll get started. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of the prodigal son. I'm so excited to share it uh, with everyone here. Uh, would you open our hearts and our minds to, to hear whatever you want us to hear today? Speak to our hearts. Uh, uh, we ask the Holy Spirit to be here in a special way. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to start with a little quiz, just a, a show of hands if you feel comfortable. Uh, who here has experienced conflict? So you can just raise your hand if you've experienced conflict. Okay, you can put your hand down. Uh, who here exp has experienced conflict in your family? And you can look to the person next to you or the right uh, if you want. Now, uh, the final question, a little bit harder. Who here has experienced conflict because of the youngest child in the family? I'm raising because I am the youngest. Uh, this week, Facebook reminded me to celebrate National Sibling Day, uh, and I celebrated by sharing a photo uh, that shows me kind of in my prime, and I want to share that with you tonight. Uh, if you don't know which one I am, uh, that's me right there. Uh, this is my, my three older brothers and my, my mom and my dad, uh, the Romig family taken in Colorado. And I wanted to tell you about kind of a, a special relationship with one of these uh, siblings. Uh, my brother Matthew and I had a special kind of love. I feel like there's always that relationship in a family uh, where each brother or sibling pair like knows the other sibling can be better. And it's their individual, each, each mission, each day to make them into a better person. And they do that through, you know, reminding them that they're not very good or, or cool. Uh, you know, they want to teach each other humility and patience. There's a love there that's so deep, no one knows it's there. That's the kind of relationship my brother Matthew and I had, a deep, deep love for each other. A typical interaction between uh, Matthew and myself could go like this. Imagine we're eating breakfast, and uh, we finished breakfast, and there are some cinnamon rolls there. And uh, I, I go, and I, and I want to grab a cinnamon roll, and I say, you know, I'm going to eat all the cinnamon rolls. They just look so good. Well, my brother might say, well, that's a dumb idea, Jonathan. You're going to get fat. And to which I would then take not one, but two cinnamon rolls. And then perhaps he would try to get one of the cinnamon rolls out of my hand, and I would immediately appeal to a higher court, my parents, my mom and dad, who would then inform us if we don't put the cinnamon rolls uh, back or if we don't play nicely, we're not going to get any at all. Matthew and I were truly committed to each other's holiness. There will always be conflict in families. We all have our own stories of, of conflict with uh, either siblings or, or maybe a, a parent or uh, a, a relative of sorts. In our new series starting this week, Conflict and Peacemaking, uh, we're going to learn about conflict. We're going to admit it's a, it's a real thing. But we believe the Bible speaks to this. And so it's, a, it's about a five-week series, and I hope you'll come back as we, uh, we learn uh, principles from the Scriptures and we learn Scripture passages that can help us deal with conflict in our lives, and most importantly, bringing peace into the conflict. 
And what better way to start this series than with a story of two brothers and a father who are in conflict? This is the story of the prodigal son. Now, the prodigal son is a parable. A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a profound truth. And I believe this parable has many profound truths that we can learn today. And the author of this story, the author of this parable is Jesus. And he shared it with us in the Gospel of Luke. And this story is certainly about conflict in both brothers and the father. And so we're going to look at the story of the younger brother because that's how the story begins, looking at the younger brother's role in conflict. The younger brother, he's the one in the wrong. Jesus begins the story here. Uh, A young man approaches his dad and says, Father, I want my share of the estate. Give it to me now. Now, I think today if someone did that in their family, perhaps that would be a, a startling thing. I think it probably depends on the family. But in the ancient Near East, this was a, a wild thing to do. This was an incredibly uh, uh, unkind thing to do. It was like walking up to your parent and saying, Dad, I, I wish you were dead. Because that's when you get the inheritance, when your father dies. Now, I never told my dad I I wished he was dead. Uh, At one point, I did tell him that I thought my girlfriend of two months knew me better than he did. Uh, For knowing me my entire life, that relationship did not work out. Um, But uh, there's there's some truth in in the idea that this was not a, a nice thing to do. This was not a nice thing to say. And Timothy Keller, he's an author, he's a pastor, he works in New York City, and he, he uh, did this presentation called The Prodigal God. And at one point in this presentation, he explains how the word property, when it says the father divided the property, it's the word bios, like biosphere, and it, it means life. Like the, what, the, what the younger son was asking the father to do was to literally tear his life apart to take his livelihood, everything he's living on and living for, and divide it up and give him a portion. And believe it or not, that's what the father does. He takes his livelihood, his property, what he's living on, what his whole family is living on, what his servants are living on, and he sells a third of it. A third of it would have gone to the youngest son and a double portion to the older brother. And he gives him this third See, right from the beginning of this story, Jesus wants us to recognize something kind of obvious about the story, that the younger brother's sin is clear. It's obvious. It's in your face. Everyone can see this sin and his role in the conflict. See, the younger brother who's going to become the prodigal son. He's the instigator in the conflict. He's the offender. He's the one who who breaks the family apart, who hurts other people. He's the one who's always getting into trouble. He's that family member who has a problem with alcohol or drugs. And just when you think you can trust him, he asks you for more money. He's that family member who, who can't control her tongue who wounds and hurts people at the family gathering. See, he's the problem. And his sin is clear. 
And what does he do when he gets the money, when, when uh, the father divides it up and gives it to him? Well, he leaves town. He's like that kid that just can't wait to just get out of town because any place but here is better. He leaves town, and he goes someplace far away, and he just spends his money on wild living. He, he wastes all of his money on parties and people who, who don't mean much, who he doesn't really know. You would never see him like uh, being a hard worker or trying to make something of himself, like on, on ABC's Shark Tank. He would be in Las Vegas partying away. But two things happen, two, uh, two events that he doesn't plan for. Uh, he runs out of money, and a disaster strikes, a famine strikes. Two hardships, and suddenly his whole life, he had everything. He, he had the good life now, and now it's the bad life now. He's out of luck. And so he goes and he clings to a local farmer, a local farmer who has pigs. Now, this man is Jewish. Pigs are unclean in the Jewish culture. So he was really at a low point if he's going and becoming a pig farmer. And that's what he does. He goes and he, he starts to take care of the pigs. Pigs are unclean. They, they symbolize sin. This is the lowest of the low. See, his sin is, is, is obvious. He, he, he's literally like covered in the pig's mud. He is like visually, imagine someone who's, who's plastered with, like, uh, with mud and grime and there's pigs all around. This is who he is. His sin is clear. His sin smells. He can probably taste his sin in his mouth. This is not a good, a good thing for him. And in most parables, in most ancient kind of Near Eastern, uh, like moralistic stories, the points that, to teach a moral, this is where the story would end. The lesson would be, see kids, don't disrespect your family. Don't disrespect your father, because if you do, bad things will happen. It's like the, the boy who cried wolf, where he, he cries, this is one of Aesop's fables, he, he cries wolf and the villagers come running to protect him. Uh, but there's no wolf, it's just a joke. And so they go back, and then he cries wolf again, and the villagers come. But there's no wolf there. He's just, just joking. He wants the attention. And finally, when the actual wolf does come, what happens? He calls out wolf, and the villagers don't come because they think he's joking, and all of his sheep die. I always wish that, that kind of that parable, uh, that story ended better. And I'm so grateful that Jesus' story has a much better ending than Aesop's fable. Jesus' parable has a different kind of ending because God gets a hold of the prodigal son's heart. Because God changes what's going on on the inside. See, the younger son, he sees his sin. <laughs> he, he feels his sin. He recognize it, recognizes it and he repents. When he is at his lowest point, when he, disaster is struck and he can't get, go anywhere but up, God gets a hold of him. And he calls him to come home. He calls him to repent. What is repentance? Repentance is turning away from our sin and coming home to God. See, recognition of sin, when we realize you know, we're sinning in our lives, we're disobeying God, we're not honoring him, we're, we're, we're living how we want apart from God, when we see that, we should then turn to God. We should go home. And that's what we're going to see the youngest son do. He, he, he says this, he, he determines to, to say something. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and I'm going to say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. 
Take me on as one of your hired servants. And it's amazing how at this moment he recognizes all the different people he has hurt. See, at first and foremost, his sin is against God. There's a vertical break, right? When we sin, there's a vertical break between God and us. When he says, I've sinned against heaven, he's recognizing I have to get right with God first. But then there's a horizontal healing that needs to take place too. He needs to get right with his family, with his father. And this is often what we see happen in conflict. But the root issue is an issue with God, but it, it spreads out and it hurts everyone. See, we can only get right with others once we've gotten right with God. This is what the Bible teaches. And so with this at heart, he, he wants to go home. He, he wants to get right. And the amazing thing is he doesn't want to just go home and say, I'm sorry. Let's, let's go back to normal. He recognizes how much he's blown it. Because he says, you know, I, I, I'm going to ask my father to take me on as a hired hand. In other words, the younger son, he wants to try to pay his father back. To pay back his father for his life. To give back his father everything that he took. This is repentance, and it's beautiful. Now, this is the moment that some of us need to go through. We hurt our family. We hurt our friends. And we're going through life, and we're not dealing with it. We just keep turning away from it. We, we, we keep running away. God wants us to experience this moment. The question is, are you going to have to get to the lowest of the low points, or are you going to recognize your sin before you get there? We don't have to be in the mud, but sometimes that's what it takes to, to, to open our eyes to our own sin. My prayer for you is that you would repent, that you would recognize your sin, and that you would begin that journey home, that journey home to God. Uh, I did a, a course in, I think it was last spring, but uh, it was Christianity Explored, and one of the, the big points is that we are more sinful than we ever imagined, but we're, we're also more loved by God than we can ever understand. So we're more broken, but we're more, we're, God just shows more kindness to us than we could ever expect. The Father wants us to come home. Now, for others of you, this is not your story. You're not the youngest. You're not the prodigal. Perhaps you've already been through this moment. Well, share your story. I love that Andy shared his faith story of kind of going through a prodigal son time. Share your story. Share your story with those that, that perhaps need to repent and need to come home and say, you know, it's good to come home. But I know there's probably quite a few of us, I've prayed this, and I'm sure many of you have prayed this, that you're, you're praying for the prodigal son. You're praying for that child, that sister, that aunt, that uncle, maybe even that parent, that they would come home. That they would come home to God. They've hurt you, so you ask God, would you, would you bring them to their knees? Would they, would they realize their sin? This is a good prayer to pray. Pray, God, would you do the work? And giving it to God, trusting God, trusting that he would convict the heart and call the prodigal son home. We believe in a miracle God, a God who, who performs miracles. This is what Easter is about. The younger son, he recognizes his sin, and he repents, and guess what? The father forgives him. This is a picture of the father just holding him in his arms. 
When the son makes that long journey home, he comes to a point where the father can see him. Maybe he's in a village far away or just cresting a hill. And the father doesn't say, oh man, it's about time. Glad he's gotten what he's deserved. You know, it's, it's good that he's back. I'm going to make him come all the way to me and grovel at my feet. The father gets up and runs for him. It says, when he saw him, he had pity on him. Uh, the Greek word here describes a feeling like the insides are just being turned inside out. Like the, the pit of his stomach is just falling to the floor. That he's, he's getting butterflies. That his, that his heart is beating. That he gets lightheaded. He is overcome with emotion because he loves his son, because he's, he's been waiting and praying for this moment to happen, and so he runs. He picks up the folds of his skirt, and he shows his, his skinny patriarch legs, and he just runs. <laughs> There's great shame in that, actually. There's a lot of humility in that. Patriarchs of the family, Abraham doesn't run. Children run. Youths run, but not not the man of the family, but he forgives his son, and that's what matters. We have a father in heaven who's just waiting for us to repent. We have a father in heaven who's just waiting for us to come home, to recognize our sin and return. It says that when the father got to the son, he, he threw his arms around him, and it's, it's like he threw himself on his neck. You ever had a, like a kid like, do that where they just jump into your arms, they put, put their, their arms around you, and they just cling to your neck? How close is that father to the son? He is right there. And I guarantee you that son doesn't smell any better. <laughs> he smells like pigs. He smells like homelessness. He smells like sin. But the father loves him anyways. The father is welcoming him home. The father wants him home. And the son begins to, to, to share, you know, Father, I've sinned against you. I've, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. He begins to deliver his apology. And what does the father do? He cuts him off. He never gets to the part talking about, you know, take me on as one of your, one of your hired hands. The father cuts him off, and he, he just kind of ignores his son. He says to his servant, quick, go get the robe. Get, get the best robe and clothe him in it and get my signet ring and put it on him. Get sandals. Kill the fattened calf. The robe would have been the best robe in the house. It would have been the father's own robe, his own clothing. He's welcoming him back into his life. The, signet, the, the ring would have symbolized the father's authority. He is welcoming him back into the family. And the sandals, uh, slaves, servants, they didn't wear shoes. He's not welcoming him home as a hired hand, as someone who can pay him back for what he has done wrong. He is welcoming him home as a son, as his child. The father forgives everything. They kill the fattened calf. Keller also mentions that they're vegetarians in their culture. They, 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 don't, they, they, they save the meat for the special occasions. It's not like our system, so they would normally eat like bread. But they kill the fattened calf. This is such a momentous occasion. This is such a big party that they kill it. They have a celebration. If you haven't tasted the forgiveness of the Father, I want to invite you to come home. The Father is waiting with open arms. 
Last week, I shared a little snippet of my faith story, a little a per, part of my personal testimony. When I was a teenager, I had a little bit of a prodigal son story too. I rebelled, I, I sinned, I drank alcohol, and I, I partied. And I did it all behind my family's back, my parents' back. I disobeyed them. And one day, it all came out. <laughs> and I remember sitting uh, in an office with my father and confessing. And just telling him everything that we had been doing. And that was one of the hardest moments. I certainly didn't like the, the, the moments leading up to that moment. But that was an incredibly freeing moment. And at the end of that confession, he hugged me. <laughs> he said, I forgive you. And he, and he held me. We have a Father in heaven who offers that same grace to you and to me. That same grace in our own sins. He's welcoming us home and he's, opening, he's welcoming us with open arms. So if you're the one in the wrong, if you're the one who starts the conflict, you have a heavenly father that's inviting you home. We want to get right with our earthly family, but it, it begins by getting right with our heavenly father. See, the solution to conflict begins with God. Peace begins with getting a your relationship right with God. This is kind of where the story could end once more, but it doesn't. There's a whole other story. There's a second half. There's a second act. It's the story of the older brother. Maybe you've been listening and you're, you're just like, I'm not one of those prodigal sons. I'm not one of those in the wrong. I'm not the one that hurts others. I'm okay. <laughs> I don't do those sorts of things. I sure know those who do but it's not me. Well, Jesus also has a story for you. It's the story of the older brother. See, the older brother is not the one in the wrong. He's the one in the right. He's not the instigator. He's not the offender. He's the one who's been offended. Now, to understand the lessons that Jesus has for the older brother, we have to look at the context. This is chapter 15 of Luke. And if we look all the way back at the beginning, Jesus tells not one but three parables, parables, and he tells them in response to what happens in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now during Jesus' life on earth, his ministry, he was famous for, for hanging out with bad people, for hanging out with people that we would uh, call sinners. See, tax collectors, they, they were corrupt, and they were, they were famous for hurting communities, introducing conflict into entire towns because they were selfish, would increase taxation. They would, they would take advantage of people. And prostitutes, well, they're homewreckers. They're, they're introducing conflict into homes. And these are the kinds of people that Jesus is hanging out with. See, Jesus spends time with prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, and you can imagine that that makes the ones in the right, the ones that live their lives in a way to try to honor God, it makes them a bit upset. See, the Pharisees, they were the religious elite. They were, they were good. They, they obeyed the law. They obeyed God's law. The experts in the law, that's what they were all about. See, they're the sibling who picks up the pieces after the conflict. They're the spouse who tries to make it work. 
They're the parent who has, has given so much, given everything to see their child succeed. They're the son or the daughter that puts up with their parents' manipulative behavior. They're the ones in the right. And Jesus is extending olive branches to them. That seems a bit unfair to me. They haven't behaved kindly. They haven't behaved well. But Jesus doesn't say to the Pharisees, it's okay to judge them. It's okay to look down on them, on the ones in the wrong. Instead, he tells them three parables. He tells them the parable of a lost sheep. And a shepherd goes out and finds that lost sheep. He tells them the story of a lost coin and how a woman searches for the lost coin. And then he tells them the story of the prodigal son, the youngest son. And when they heard this story, they, knew, they would have known Jesus, when he's talking about the prodigal son, when he's describing his behavior, he's describing the tax collectors and the prostitutes, their lives, their lifestyles. And when he gets to the older son in this story, they would have been right with him because this is the older, responsible son who stayed at home and worked hard and behaved well. They would have affiliated with him. And when the older son gets mad, the Pharisees, they would have been mad too. The ones in the right, they would have been upset. But Jesus has a lesson for them too. See, because just because they didn't start the conflict doesn't mean they are innocent. See, the older son, he has sin. And his sin is just hidden. It's under the surface. It's not as obvious. But actually, as we read, as we look at the second half of the parable, we see that he actually has sinned not once, but twice. See, he sinned against his younger brother. He sinned against his younger brother by not going after his younger brother Remember those two parables I just described? In the first parable, a shepherd goes after the lost sheep. In the second parable, a woman just like tears apart her house to find her money, to find her lost coin. And then the third parable, no one searches for the younger son. And which is more important, a sheep, a coin, or a son? It was the responsibility of the older brother to search for the younger brother. It was the responsibility of the older brother to bring his little brother home, no matter how badly he's misbehaving. See, when his younger brother went to a foreign nation, went to a foreign city, he should have followed him. And when he was living that way in his kind of his Las Vegas lifestyle, he should have told him, like, this is a bad idea. You're going to lose all your money. You're going you're to lose your livelihood. And when his younger brother was in the dumps, in the dirt with the pigs, his older brother should have been right there to pick him up and to bring him home. See, Jesus is challenging the hearts of the Pharisees. He's challenging the ways they've behaved. Because they have a sin. Their sin is being okay <laughs> and ignoring the plight of the tax collectors and the prostitutes by putting a kind of a, a barrier between the two of them to say, okay, you know, you stay over there, we're going to stay over here. This is a sin. When the, when the youngest came home, the, the oldest should have given him everything to welcome him home. And it's interesting how he does give him his own things. Those things that the father gives him belong to the oldest. 
But the oldest should have given up his calf and kind of his robe that would one day belong to him and his ring and his sandals. He should have done so willingly, excited, celebrating that his younger brother is home. See, the younger brother's sin is called a sin of commission. And I put a definition on the screen. It's in your bulletin as well, which just means doing something bad. The younger brother, the, the prodigal son, he did something bad. But the older brother's sin is called the sin of omission. In other words, he refused to do something good. Now, how quick are we to point out when someone else does something bad, but at the same time, ignore what we could have done right, what we could have done good? See, instead of throwing up our hands and watching the conflict in our family unfold and maybe like sending a, 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 an email or a, or a text message or an emoji text message, <laughs> we could have had a face-to-face conversation. We could have made a phone call. We could have done something good. Instead of just bailing and watching from afar, we could have drawn near. Instead of complaining to those around us and gossiping, we could have prayed to our Father in heaven that you would bring the one who's hurting everyone home. See, the older brother's first sin is that of omission, but this sin leads to the sin of commission. Sin number two. The older brother makes it worse by publicly shaming his father. He comes to the city and he comes to the town, and he, and he makes his father come outside. He talks to the servant, but he refuses to go in. This is a, a, an incredibly dishonoring thing to do. His father ends up coming out, and the whole town might have followed the father from the party. Well, where the patriarch goes, there's the party, so we're going to follow him outside. And then he sees this, this public shaming that the, the, the older son just lays on his father. When the, older father, when, the, when the father comes out, he says, look. He doesn't address him as father. He doesn't address him as dad. He doesn't address him with a, in a kind of a, a terms of endearment or love or respect. He says, hey, you, look at what you've done to me. You never gave me even a goat so that I could have a party with my friends. Timothy Keller points out that the older brother's sin and the younger brother's sin are exactly the same sin. They want their father's things, but not their father. (laughs) The younger son just had the courage to admit it and to go and to ask for it. The older brother, he tried to get the same things. He wanted the party. He wanted the good life now, but he just took a different route to get there. He took hard work, but his focus was not the father. It was the things. It was the lifestyle. It was the happy life now, the happy life today. See, just because we don't start the conflict doesn't mean we're innocent. The ones in the right can also be in the wrong, but the wrong starts on the inside. It starts on the heart. If we were to look at our own hearts, what would we see there? Do we want the prodigal son in our family to come home? Or are we jealous of their freedom, of what they're doing? Do we want what they have? 
Do we need an apology or do we just want to be right? I know I struggle with these things. Do we want peace or do we actually crave drama? Maybe we don't like how they act, but then when we're around them, it makes us feel superior to them. We don't really have to pay attention to them because they're the ones in the wrong, we're the ones in the right. See, Jesus doesn't just confront the sin of the one in the wrong, he also confronts the sin of the one in the right. Both need the Father's forgiveness, one for open rebellion and one for an inside rebellion, for self-righteousness. And the good news is that the Father offers forgiveness. The Father offers peace. Just like the Father ran to the younger son, the Father comes out to the older son. The Father is willing to humble himself once more to come. And he says, my son. The Greek here actually is the word child. It's a term of endearment, my child. Everything I have is yours. Yeah, he says, you've been with me and everything I have is yours. Do you, do you think he means like you've been geographically close to me? No, I think he means like you've been on my heart just as much as my prodigal son has been on my heart. I've been praying for you just as much as I've been praying for him. Everything I have is yours. My whole being is yours. My whole life is yours. But right now it's time to celebrate. Come on into the party. So when the father, when the father invites him into the party, he's inviting him to, to turn from his sin and to come home. He's inviting him to repent and to experience forgiveness and peace. See, peace is not just the absence of conflict. That's not really what it is at all. Peace is a relationship with God in the midst of conflict. Something that, that puts our hearts at ease through a trust in God. Through a trust in the triune God, our Father. And how do we experience that peace? It's through repentance. Admitting our sins and turning to God. We need to get right with the Father before we can get right with each other. And that's where the story ends. We don't know how this story ends. Jesus doesn't tell us what the older brother decides. You ever read any of those choose-your-own-adventure books at the library? This is a choose-your-own-adventure for the Pharisees. What are they going to do? But it's also a choose-your-own-adventure for us. The choose your own adventure, you, you read along and you come to a page and you can choose to like jump to page 52 or continue on and page 52, you, you maybe, if you're at a castle, you go to the right and you try to find another entrance in and if you keep reading, well, you're going to go in through the main entrance. And depending on the decision you make, you either like end up getting eaten by a dragon or you rescue the princess and get all the gold. Which pathway are you going to take? How will your story end? Will it end like the older brother or the younger brother? Pathway A, we, 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 we leave here unchanged. We ignore how the Holy Spirit's speaking to our hearts, how he's convicting us. We continue to find the fault with others, the ones in the wrong, and say, it's really their issue, it's not mine. The nice kind of prose of this story is you never have to grow up. You never have to mature. You never have to deal with your own sins. But the sad part of this story is that you never get to go home. How about pathway B? It's where you repent and you come home. And you say, God, I blew it. I'm sorry. I've been sinning. 
You recognize your own sins. You recognize your role in the conflict. Maybe it's not the same, but maybe there's a role there. You recognize the sin of the heart, and you confess to your heavenly Father, whether it's outward or inward sin, and you come home. How will your story end this Easter? Our stories can come home because there actually is another story whispered into these pages that Jesus is telling. See, as Jesus is telling the story, twice the father says, you know, my son, he died and he's alive again. And then he says to the older brother, your brother, he died and he is alive again. See, we can come home because of a death and a resurrection, of a coming back to life. We can come home because of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's because of Jesus that we can have peace with God, that we can know God and be in a relationship with God. See, it doesn't matter if you're right or if you're wrong. We can find our peace in Jesus. If you you affiliate with the, the one in the wrong... Great, you can have peace through Jesus Christ. And if you, you, you identify with the older brother, the one in the, in, the, in the right, great, you can have peace with Jesus. You can have peace with the Father through Christ. Easter makes peace possible. See, Jesus is the older brother we need. Jesus is the true eldest. He's the one who, who left everything he had. He had everything in heaven. <laughs> he had glory. He had riches. He had angels worshiping him. And he left all of that so that he could rescue us, the prodigal sons and the prodigal daughters. So he could rescue us, the ones in the wrong who have been wallowing in sin and causing hurt all around us. But he didn't just come to rescue the prodigal sons and daughters. He also came to rescue the older brothers and the older sisters, the self-righteous ones. He left all of that to come down to rescue you and me. He spared spared no expense. He was stripped of his robes in a foreign land. He was mocked. He was crucified. He was nailed to a tree. He was covered in our dirt, in our sin, in our shame, and the smell of our wrongdoing so that we can be brought home so that we can leave the land of sin and death. And we can come home to our Heavenly Father this Easter, so that we can be clothed in a robe of righteousness, Jesus' very robe, so that we can be be clothed in holiness, Jesus' perfect holiness, so that one day we can sit in heaven uh, with Christ and enjoy a great feast, the best party ever. It's through Jesus that that we can enter into an eternal relationship with God so that God the Father, when he sees us, he falls on our neck. He says, welcome home, my child. See, in the right or in the wrong, we find our peace in Jesus. My brother Matthew, he asked me to be the best man at his wedding. (laughs) So Jesus can come into our lives and change our real relationships. And I'm excited to tell you more about that through the course of this sermon series. I hope that you'll come back for next week and the following week as we continue to learn about this. In the right or in the wrong, we can find our peace in Christ. Let's pray.
Thank you for the peace we have with God through the Father, Christ. You have won it all on the cross. We pray for our closing music and uh, for our offering. We pray that it would honor you and bring you fame. We pray for each of the kids here who stayed through the service, Lord. I pray that you would stick something with them, but would you stick something with the adults too, with my heart. We all have something to learn, Father. Help us learn it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.